You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. This is the Christian Humanist Podcast, a weekly discussion of theology, philosophy, literature, art, and other things that human beings do well. And now your hosts, David Grubbs, Nathan Gilmore, and Michael Farmer. So the same Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Christian Humanist Podcast. My name is Nathan Gilmore, and this is no ordinary show because I'm joined not by the normal trio of hosts or even by our recent uh, and welcome guest, Matthew Block, uh, but by guests from across the Christian Humanist Radio Network. I want to introduce them in turn. First of all, hailing from the Christian Feminist Podcast, it is Dr. Victoria Reynolds Farmer. Victoria, how are you? Doing well. Excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Also joining us from the uh, frozen northern lands of Indiana, it's, uh, <laughs> it is Dr. Dan Dawson. Uh, Dan, I'm going to guess that uh, it's not all that cold in Indiana right now because I just talked to my parents yesterday. It is, it is certainly not. No, we just had a nice uh, uh, storm go through a little while ago. Recorded 43 mile per hour gust on my weather station. Decidedly more summer-like than anything right now <laughs> so yeah indeed stormy and friends when you ask a meteorologist about the weather you're going to hear about the weather um you're right as, as you know uh if you're a listener to the christian humanist radio network and you should be if you're not already this is part of our annual halloween crossover festival uh you're going to hear episodes on edgar Allan poe stories from the Christian Feminist Podcast, from the City of Man Podcast, from the Sectarian Review. Um, I can't remember, are there other shows? I feel like there's five, but I can only think of four. Do you guys remember what the fifth show is? I should have written this down. So we're going to say there's probably a fifth show, but if there's Drawn not... Like, there is. It's Book of Nature. Yes. Oh, did I forget Book of Nature? Dan, come on now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Dan Dawson from the Book of Nature Podcast. But I am not host... Me. I am not hosting it. So. <laughs> all right, all right, fair enough. So it is, enough. it is, it is, it is not. You know, one of those. It's out of, out of sight, out of mind, or something like that. Oh, indeed. Oh, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> well, friends, uh, tonight's story uh, is going to be one that actually uh, I might have snatched from the paws of the Book of Nature podcast because it's a little bit less horror and a little bit more science fiction, but. Uh, I'm going to treat it as a kind of psychological exploration tonight. It is Descent into the Maelstrom. Uh, that's how I'm going to pronounce it, uh, probably because it's the way I've been saying it. I've never actually looked at how you're supposed to pronounce it. So I pronounce it like it's an old English word because that's what I do with words whose pronunciations I don't know. Uh, it is a story that first comes into print in periodicals, as is the case with most of Poe's stories. And it is... I mean, all of his stories are kind of strange, but this one is strange in a, a few happy little ways that I hope we get into tonight. So I want to start out by going around the horn. The opening pages of this story and the last few sentences of this story set forth ambiguities that exert a powerful pull on the middle bits. 
So, Victoria, I'm going to ask you and then Dan what you think before we go too much further. As a reader, Victoria, do you believe the old man when he says that he was a young guy just three years ago, but the maelstrom aged him in a day? And if so, why? And if not, why not? And after you've made your case, uh, I want to hear Dan's case. Yes and no, but mostly yes. Uh, Because I think that... One, all kinds of crazy stuff happens in other Poe stories, either because the universe is just fantastical or horrific or both in general, or because the crazy stuff that happens serves as a kind of metaphor for how people react when they are scared. Uh, For example, I've never seen an orangutan murder anyone. I've never bricked somebody up in a wall, but I understand the desire to explain the motivation behind disasters. I understand the links that people can go to when they're motivated by greed. Uh, By the same token, in terms of this story, I've never seen somebody's hair become white in a day, but I certainly think it's true that emotional trauma can have literal physical effects on people. So even if I think this is not literally true, I think that it rings true in human experience. Yes and no. What do you say, Dan? Yeah, it's it's actually hard to follow that. That's a pretty good summary of how I, I was thinking about it. I'm the first thing I thought of actually when um, when I read that part was like I had read about this actually being a a, a real thing that with a, um, when people go through a traumatic enough experience, experience occasionally their hair will turn uh, gray or white um, when, as it keeps growing, um, owing to the, uh, the result of that trauma. Now, I did not verify this, um, so I don't, but I have heard that this is, this is a thing. And so maybe that's what he's drawing on here um, in his, uh, uh, that's why what kind of makes it ambiguous is that it's plausible that some kind of physical effect could occur from uh, that is tantamount to aging. It looks like a lot of aging. Um, and so perhaps um, that's, yeah, that's my answer. It's uh, the other thing that, that did um, that, that occurred to me, and this is because I'm just a raging nerd, science nerd, geek, whatever, is that um Whirlpools actually can be seen and actually in some ways are very analogous mathematically, at least to black holes. And um, when people are, if you know anything about black holes, if you get really close to one, time slows down relative to people outside. And so everything outside you ages a lot faster. So this is like the reverse of that. So I thought, okay, there's no way, obviously, that Poe knew anything about relativity because it hadn't been thought of yet, right? But it still kind of struck me as a little bit uncanny that there was this time distortion going on near this whirlpool and in the reverse of what a kind of time distortion that would happen in the vicinity of a black hole. So there's my random connection uh, to other areas of science there for that. So I don't know what you make of that, but that was just something that struck me. 
That is amazing and exactly the content I came here for. I want you to know that I signed up for this story 100% because I hoped you would also sign up for it, Dan. Awesome. And I, and wow. I wanted to learn sciencey things that I don't understand. So thank you for delivering immediately. You're, you're, you're very welcome. I, was, right. I wasn't sure whether, what, whether to say anything about that, but I'm like, I have to. I have to, I, so I, I'm, I'm, I appreciate that very much, Victoria. That, that is phenomenal. So I am going to chime in here as the grumpy old man of the trio and say, I don't believe this guy for a second. Uh, I think that he did something that horrifies him on a psychological level. So he invents this magical story about being suddenly aged three years ago. I think probably his brothers died decades ago. And he's been telling people for years and years and years that it was just three years ago. Uh, and I am in, at the very least, the company of fishermen, because at the very end of the story, he tells the narrator, none of the fishermen here in the fishing villages believe a word of any of this. And mm -hmm. you probably won't either. And I say, yes, you're right. I don't. <laughs> but we will talk more about what we believe and what we don't believe in this story uh, as we roll on, because... I want Dan to talk about a truly odd moment early in this story uh, when the narrator, you know, after going up and, you know, seeing these plummeting grand cliffs and the menacing waters below, he breaks off into a passage of Jonas Ramus and then starts quoting the Encyclopedia Britannica. Uh, what, 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 what is this doing in this story, Dan? This is supposed to be a horror story. Why are we quoting the encyclopedia? Yeah, uh, it, 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 to, at least to, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is just me, but to modern um, taste, this seems like a really jarring, you know, coming out of left field um, digression. But as I looked into this, I've came, I came to understand that this is really quintessential Poe here. He's, he loves putting in these kinds of um, uh, explanations I think what he's doing is he's setting up the, 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 the situation. He wants to make this about a person who reasons himself out of a jam, like in a scientific sense. And so he has to put in some scientific, rational, um, expository dialogue in there to, um, uh, to kind of set that up. So I think... What he's doing is from the outset, he's saying, this is not going to be your regular horror story, ladies and gentlemen. This is, this is a tale of somebody who figures stuff out to save himself, and this is how we're going to go there. Um, now, what was I going to say about There was something else I was going to say about that. Um, the, the, it's interesting, though, that, that Poe does quote the Encyclopedia Britannica here, um, but... Um, and, and, and indeed that it does have a passage, at least that, that version so at that cool. time, that very similar to what he quoted here. And actually, I, I came to find out later on that the Encyclopedia Britannica actually took Poe's story in one of their later editions and used it to, to fill in and embellish the, the, the new record, the new version of, the, of their entry on this phenomenon. So there's a sort of great. Like, That's yeah, really great. It, it's like, wow, you know, um, 
And uh, so I don't know what to make of that. I just thought I'd throw that in there when I was when I was looking into this, that there was this sort of back and forth going on here. Um, yeah, I my my what I'm I what I'm feeling here is that this is setting things up to be a story about um, really about the clash of scientific reasoning to to in this case of the uh, the narrator's how he saved himself, which we're getting ahead of things, but um, and the the uh, um, the awesome power of nature and and indeed God in nature as as to, uh, really I thought well set up by that the quote at the beginning of the uh, by Joseph Glanville at the beginning of the story. I think that really sets the tone for the whole thing. It's sort of putting these two things, reasoning ability of man, particularly scientific reasoning ability of man, and the smack in the face of awe-inspiring, overwhelming nature. So this is kind of stuff that I eat up because, you know, I, I study tornadoes, which is, I get this, that, that, that first quote could be like my, uh, my research's story, you know, there, that, the first one. Uh, do you want, do you mind if I, quote that part the first one yeah fire away yeah, yeah. so um at the very beginning of the story uh that's a quote attributed to joseph glanville um says the ways of god in nature as in providence are not as our ways nor are the models that we frame any way commensurate to the vastness profundity and unsearchableness of his works which has a which have a depth in them greater than the well of democritus I just, I, I really like that. Uh, when I read that, I was like, okay, I'm going to like this story. <laughs> so, yeah. Very cool. Victoria, what else is there to say about this encyclopedia stuff in the middle of our uh, thriller story? So I definitely agree with everything that Dan said, but I came at it from a slightly different angle. Um Maybe it's the new historicist in me, which I was going to not mention, but since he said that thing about uh, the encyclopedia entry doubling back around, I like. I feel like that's there now. Uh, I I really love a contextual digression because I think, particularly in fiction, the kind of context that certain characters use as an appeal to authority. Um, Dan mentioned the the appeal to kind of logical authority here. The kind of text that particular characters use as appeal to authority tell us about who they are and what they value. So as he was saying, this is someone who wants us to think that he is logical, objective, believable, um, because he's, he's citing something as not actually unchanging, but that has the reputation of being uh, unchanging and rock solid like an encyclopedia. So um, mm. I, I agree, uh, but also do historicism, I guess. No, that, uh, that, that's absolutely a valid connection, Victoria. And, and I, I don't have anything nearly as smart to say as what you two said. Uh, I'll just say that it reminds me of the moment at the end of Hitchcock's Psycho where after, you know, we have been terrified by scenes of, you know, murder and body switching and all kinds of, you know, creepy, groovy horror movie stuff. We get this bone dry 10 minute lecture on Freudian psychology and then the credits roll. Uh, and, you know, obviously this doesn't happen at the end of the story. It happens kind of at the beginning. 
but I think, but I think you're both right that I mean that that contrast between the library book and the existential, it's going to pull me down to my doom dread. Uh, I, th- I think that that contrast, I mean, just really, really works well. And I mean, I, 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 I'll go ahead and say this. I didn't say it at the outset, but I mean, listeners who have heard enough of the Christian Humanist podcast know that I am not a fan of Edgar Allan Poe. And, uh, you know, when I found out that that was our Halloween thing this year, I kind of groaned, I won't lie. Uh, but uh, I really do like this particularly particular literary device that Poe deploys here, that contrast between registers. So it is time, I think. Oh, go ahead, Dan. Go ahead, Dan. I was, I was just going to say, it's just um, the, uh, the uh, like you mentioned the contrast there. And, and I really, something that um, Victoria just said, uh, the appeal to authority, I hadn't thought of it from that angle. But yeah, it's like he's appealing to this authority um, to set up this uh, um, sort of uh, baseline for what we can expect to happen in the rest of it. But um, there was something else I was going to say there, and I can't remember what it was. So I'm going to turn it back to you because, um, but if I think of it, maybe uh, in the next segment, but there was, there was something else there that I think you mentioned that I wanted to catch up on. So we can always backtrack. That's, that's yeah. the fun about this. Uh, we don't have any bosses, uh, so we can do what we want to. Uh, but Victoria, I want you to take us into the Strom. So should we tell a tale of a tragedy that comes from overreaching? Should we tell a tale of the cruelty of blind fate? Should we talk about sky gods intervening to destroy mortals? What kind of a story is this, Victoria? And, you know, in, in broad brushstrokes, to use Danny Anderson's favorite phrase, uh, what are the big events that uh, lead us to the end of this story? So if it's any of those things, I am inclined to agree the most with the last one. Uh, primarily because of the uh, epigraph that Dan has already mentioned. I, I think that the epigraph frames it, um, it the closest to um, this is, is God or some higher power uh, intervening against a norm. And the reason I think that is because of the large number of times the narrator says something to the effect of ordinarily you can see this far across or ordinarily the water is this deep ordinarily boats move this way but in this instance something completely different happened there's just it's Hmm. full of exceptions to rules over and over and over uh that of course assumes that you believe that the narrator is telling the truth at all. Uh, I believe him up to a point and not entirely. So maybe you and I disagree on that point. Uh, But I, I certainly think that this is a story about grasping for control and losing it primarily. And I think that points to there's some big force bigger than people that's in control here. Hmm. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, that that's really interesting. Take uh, the the way I was looking at it was uh, I was thinking about how Poe is using a 
a real phenomenon as the backdrop to the story. So this, this uh, Mokstrom, I don't know how to pronounce it, um, is a real phenomenon that occurs uh, near, near this island. And all the geography is laid out and it's all correct, pretty much. He's using a real setting to the story and a real phenomenon. But the phenomenon that he's talking about, like you were saying, Victoria, is greatly exaggerated beyond what is actually observed most of the time, if not all of the time. So there are whirlpools there um, and, it, and, there, and it's caused by these tidal streams. Uh, in, in, in fact, that's what the, I always said it Maelstrom, but um, Maelstrom, Maelstrom, potato, potato, I don't know. I um, am almost certainly mispronouncing it. So go with I, your I pronunciation. Probably am, I probably am too, <laughs> <laughs> but, but okay, we'll go with uh, just Maelstrom is literally means like mill stream or grinding stream, like grinding in a mill. Um, so, and what it is, is it's basically a stream of water that's flowing rapidly um, as the tides ebb and flow. Um, and the tides of course are where the moon um, and the sun as well, to a certain extent, um, lifts up the water a ways. And as that, as that bulge travels around the earth, as, um, as the earth rotates, you get ebbs and flows of water in different parts of, uh, especially if you get a narrow channel. In this case, this is in a narrow, in a open sea. So it's actually, actually an unusual tidal um, maelstrom uh, uh, compared to some of the other ones that are out there in the world, but it's real. But it, the, the, the way that they're describing it in the story is basically taking all of the real things that are happening and, mag and magnifying by 10. Okay, so like you get instead of a few meters or tens of meters wide um, whirlpool, you get a mile wide whirlpool, right? And you get this funnel that goes all the way down to the, the, the seabed, as far as we can tell, right? And you get um, swallowing entire ships whole, which doesn't happen, um, and at, at least not big ones. And, uh, and on all these other things that are going on. So what you're saying, Victoria, is really apt. It's like it's like basically taking and not and turning it up to 11, you know, taking up a notch beyond what you would expect from a merely natural phenomenon. Um, on the other hand, there's a hint in there that Poe is, at least to me, my, my reading, uh, maybe this is just me coming from my scientific background, is that he's saying that this would normally not happen, but we had this massive storm on top of the tide and they invokes the full moon coming overhead and everything. And all those things together made this happen like this. And that at least is plausible. We do get these events in nature that are like black swan events, right? That are just these singular juxtaposition of circumstances that come together to create such a big thing. So I think actually that's part of the ambiguity there. Is this a supernatural thing or is it a mere, you know, natural phenomenon that's just very exceptional, you know, the way I look at those, those, those words is not so much like, is this a clash between like a direct supernatural intervention and the, the natural phenomenon, which is amenable to scientific investigation, but rather that the scientific nature of the phenomenon, the nature of the phenomenon itself is what is inspiring and evoke invocative of God's presence. That's sort of how I, I look at it. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I want to follow up. I want to sure, follow up yeah, and, yeah. I, and I want to go to Victoria with this yeah. because the old man admits that nobody went into those waters fishing 
And that's why he and his brothers knew that they could just make a bucket of cash going out there and getting the fish that everyone else had too much good sense to get. Yeah. And it's because they're out there that they happen to be in the wrong place at the right time and they get sucked in by the strong. Yeah. I mean, is that not overreaching Victoria? Is this not Hamartia at its finest? Uh, Thank you for saying that word so that I did not have to, because I'm very bad at it. I, I also said it with like a Hebrew guttural at the front. I, it's, it's been a long day. You're going to have to explain <laughs> that one to uh, me. The, the but, word that is, yeah. is, typically, um, is typically translated in like baby textbooks as tragic flaw. Uh, the, and tra- and uh, translated in St. Paul as sin. Yes. Um, it's, okay. it's the kind of uh, tragic hero wants too much and and overreaches and and falls mm-hmm. um so i don't know like i've been going back and forth on this for like a day and a half i've only read this story once to record this podcast i don't like poe either um as as i said i i'm, okay. I'm here a hundred percent because i wanted to hear dan talk about this story and teach me science so i i don't know like i i want him to not be completely murderous and full of crap like but but <laughs> i feel like best case scenario like he wasn't immediately trying to put his family in harm's way and it just kind of happened coincidentally like yeah, best, best but it's, case. It, it'll never happen to me right. <laughs> that's right and, yeah yeah i i see but that yeah. that's the best case scenario i mean i think probably the more likely scenario is that he knew nobody ever went out there and so it would be safe if sketchy stuff went down and then it did and then he was very human and invents these sort of series of uh, of appeals to authority and all this other stuff we've been talking about in order to justify his actions to himself and, you know, say, say that he did all that he could. I, although, although to sort our narratives into two streams, the Britannica stuff comes from the main narrator, oh, not from the old man. So, I mean, oh, the old man, the no, old man doesn't go to the Britannica. True. It's the narrator that okay. does. Thanks, so, I mean, right. Thanks, Nathan, because I I missed that. I, I yeah, yeah, I, and I misspoke. It, it, it's that it, it it it's that nineteenth century love for nested yeah. narrative that, oh my God. that makes okay. it so maddening to read. I, <laughs> Go I, ahead, I, Victoria. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, that's a that's a revelation to me. I didn't realize that there's two narrators. I should, probably should have. Yeah, Go uh, ahead. Apologies sorry. for messing that up. Um, the the one thing that I really do like about Poe is that he kind of creates this it's in a lot of his stories creates this narrative distance that like you're so far away from the scary thing that's happening that like you know that it's just going to keep happening and happening and you can't stop it and you can't do anything but watch this terrifying thing occur which i think is so human and so scary and so cool so i i like the way that's working here as well and and then one one more little detail that i just have to bring up although it kind of blends into a conversation we're going to have later 
okay. but not entirely, is that at one point the old man says, oh, and then I looked down and it just happened that day I hadn't wound my watch. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you want me to believe that all of these things happen in the same afternoon. Uh, I mean, you know, just I, uh, you know, and, and I'm not even saying that he's murderous. I'm not saying that he's murderous. I'm saying that he overreached. He thought we can stay out here longer than anyone else with any kind of sense is going to stay out here because we're going to make just a boatload of money. And then it bit him in the butt. And now he's inventing these divine, supernatural, Joseph Glanville, heavenly interventions to say, it wasn't my fault. That's just me, though. That's just yeah, me. I, I mean, people, <laughs> I'm grumpy. People justify you know, things. It's what they do, right? Like, it's it's how come Lucifer's sin is pride. Like, people justify things. Mm-hmm. No, I, 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 I think, I think. Nathan, I, I don't want to say that you're wrong. I think that very well could be. But what I think is fascinating. You is would be in good company, Dan. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I think I meant I meant I think you could be right. I, I said that wrong. <laughs> I um, but I think that they that both of these ways work here because, yeah, he's evoking these these kind of supernatural kind of or and this sort of like awe of nature type of things. But that could be a legitimate take from this even if he's misusing it to justify his own his own uh, misbehavior um or his own overreach um uh at least that maybe that's one way to look at it i don't know but the the reason this i the story resonated with me and i didn't really realize it until just now um when i was thinking about this is that i feel like i have actually been not to this extent but at least partly in this man's shoes, the old man's shoes. I was going to say, I'm going to tell Grant if you go too far. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I did not leave my brother to die on a storm chase or anything like that. But I. And, but, and by the way, listeners, in case we haven't mentioned, Dan and I grew up in the same hometown in central <laughs> Indiana. So I yeah. know his brother. He knows my brother. Keep going, yep. Dan. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, as you all know, I, I do a lot of storm chasing. And, and that. Um, believe it or not, is a lot safer than it sounds most of the time. But there are occasions where you get in a situation where if you get too cocky, think you know you're you have figured it out, you're going to go and get a really good view. It can bite you. And I've had a couple occasions where um, uh, I the uh, chaser of the tornado became the chasee um, because things turned around and you have to get out of there. So in a microcosm of, I have been in these kind of, this kind of situation. So I identify a little bit with this guy. Um, uh, I, I certainly am not going out there to do like, oh, I'm gonna get all this fish. I'm not going out there for fame or whatever, but I wanna see, I wanna visualize, I wanna see what's going on. But you have to respect the storm, right? They, he did not, they did not respect the maelstrom in this in this incident and they bit off way too much so listeners if you know 10 15 years from now dan dawson comes up to you and says just three years ago i was 25 <laughs> i was chasing this storm and you wouldn't believe what happened yeah you'll know where i got now we know from. yeah right now no, no I, I, I i am totally stacking the deck here listeners and and dan and victoria know it full well and they're being too polite to say so uh so i thank both of you for your forbearance 
<laughs> no problem. This is great. Well, Dan, you are, of the three of us, best versed in physics, I think, unless Victoria is, in fact, sitting on an ace and has, you know, glorious learning in physics. I, I didn't have to take physics, and I was very happy about it, so, <laughs> no. So, I am curious, uh, when the old man tells the story about which items sink faster than others and which ones stay higher in the vortex, uh, is this good science is this outdated science is poe just making stuff up for the story uh i mean how does this stuff hold up because i've read the story a few times and i've never had the background to know just how much poe is yanking my chain oh man nathan um you, you really threw me a softball on this not you did not this this was actually a really tough to 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 tease out because he writes it um, as if he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, and this is not the encyclopedia quoting narrator. This no, is the old Fisher dude, but he is pulling in. Well, and I guess I'm, I'm, I keep doing this, uh, identifying Poe with the old man in this, and I know they're not the same thing. Uh, but, uh, that's what he wants putting, you to think. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but he's putting words in obviously the old man's mouth and looking into this, he actually is, um, drawing on Poe that is, is drawing on knowledge that he's gained from acquaintances and friends and others, various sources of a scientific or, or um, technical nature and trying to, uh, and trying to come up with something that sounds like plausible. So the answer is um, there is, it's a little, it's a mixture of all of the above, to be honest. Um, the, as far as I can tell, and this is tricky because believe it or not, these when you start getting into the details of the physics of these things, it can get, get really hairy because there's a lot of things going on. But the gist of it is, is the idea that something that is more massive sinking faster, that, that holds up. So for example, basically what's going on, a lot of people don't realize this, but a whirlpool, at least one that's sort of like this big, like more or less steady state coherent whirlpool it doesn't and, and, and dan as you explain this remember we're on an audio podcast i see your hands getting ready to all right, right, this right. To us. okay i'm going to try to not talk with my hands so think of a whirlpool if you think of taking a a bucket of water and stirring it with a stick right everybody's done this at some point or something like that or maybe when i was a kid i used to do this with one of those kiddie swimming pools we'd walk around in a circle until we got a whirlpool in the middle what happens the the, the surface in the middle sinks down right and you get a dimple, or at least maybe not a full funnel, but you get a dimple. Um, and the, the, once it gets to a more or less steady flow, nothing is being sucked down anymore. Everything is being is centrifuged outward. So the, the reason why you get a funnel where where there's a where's air in the middle is because the water is is pulling outward. Now the weight of the water, the pressure is wanting to push it back toward the center. But because it's spinning so fast, the centrifugal force is pushing out. We, we have a name for that in physics. We call that cyclostrophic balance. It's a balance between the centrifugal force pushing out and the pressure of the water pushing back in. But there, the water at any level and the funnel is not going up or down. It's spinning around in a circle at the same level. So if you're a boat, if you're in a boat going down this, the water is actually moving horizontally under you. You're falling down the whirlpool because gravity is pulling you down. 
and uh, against the surface, not because the whirlpool is sucking you down. And, and it, if you're a more massive object, you're going to have less resistance to the, or you're gonna have more resistance to the flow. The flow, you're gonna push through the flow. The gravity is gonna pull down on you harder. Then if you're lighter, you're gonna just be caught up with the stream, which is gonna keep you in the whirlpool longer. Does that make sense? Can I ask Yeah, that a, makes good sense. Can I ask a dumb question? Yeah. So when you were talking, I kept thinking of the tornado in a bottle that we made in second grade. This is uh -huh. why the tornado in a bottle works. Yeah, because you're you're when you're spinning it, you're basically the water if you look carefully, the water pushes outward and you get a you get air that is able to sneak down in the middle and that's what makes the whirlpool, right? Because when you're swirling it around, it's the centrifuging of the water to the sides. That, that's what creates that. Yay, I understood a science thing. <laughs> now, yeah, Dan, that, that's uh, just uh, it, yeah. as far as the you know, difference between conical and spherical and yeah, tubular so objects, I mean, does that hold up? That's, that, 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 that's the part that I, I've always got an eyebrow cocked. Yeah. But, but I, I haven't read enough physics. That's the part where it gets a little bit sketchier. And I, I dug into this a little bit, found some actually some, some uh, uh, quasi-scientific articles written about this story from the perspective of fluid dynamicists and stuff, trying to kind of come to terms with whether, uh, you know, Poe knew what he was talking about or not. And I haven't, I, I did not find a consensus. I found some saying, this is total baloney. He's just making it up. And actually, I think there's some evidence that Poe himself just made that up that part of it up. But then I found another that that did tr make a decent argument that a cylindrical object would have more um, uh, um, more resistance. So the, the flow would catch onto it better. If the flow catches onto an object. So think of a think of a, if you have two objects, one that's really like uh, bumpy or has a lot of friction, like the surfaces uh, versus one that's really smooth. In the case of the one that's really smooth, the water will just slide right around it. So a sphere, okay, would slide right around it. So the sphere would fall down faster because the water would just slide under it. The, the, in, on, in the wall, the, uh, whereas something like a cylinder or something that's bumpy or something that has more complex shape, otherwise all else being equal, the water would grab onto it better. And so you might expect that to stay stuck to the side of the whirlpool for longer and not descend as fast. So there is something to it too. But here's the question that, that I still don't have an answer to. Is did Poe know this? Or did he just by accident get something that maybe makes sense that you can rationalize it at least? Um, I, I, I like I said, I found this paper where this fellow did some simulations that seemed to that seems to bear up a lot of what Poe was saying here. His his uh his conclusion was not that Poe knew. It was a was a stellar fluid dynamicist or anything like that, but that he had talked to enough people that were familiar with whirlpools um, that told him about these observations that he was able to put in more or less reasonably correct observations into it, even though he didn't really know how to explain it. Does it make sense? I don't know. That's that's what I've come up with. I think that. It's a really hard to say for sure. I, I think that's great, Dan. And and like I said, I mean, you know, I uh, I I didn't write this question set until I knew who I was going to be podcasting with, and I said, "All right, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get Dan to say science stuff," and you have. So I uh, mission accomplished. 
Um, Alrighty. So Victoria, it's time to revisit my grumpy old man question. Um, as a reader, Victoria Reynolds Farmer, do you think that the old man is relating his brother's demise basically as his brothers would have told the story if we had visited them in a Homeric journey to the underworld? Or is this the story of a self-justifying man who has no need to face cross-examination? Did he really try to save his brothers, Victoria? Um, so I'm going to kind of sidestep your question, but not all the way. <laughs> um, I'm not sure he... No, you do you do have a PhD in true. English. You're allowed That's to do that. That's what they trained us for. <laughs> uh, so I'm not sure he tried to save them. I also don't think he's telling the truth. Definitely the Homeric epic thing you said no, that's not what's happening. But I think that like, it doesn't entirely matter that he's not telling the truth because what really matters here is that he is a flawed human being acting the way that flawed human beings act. And if I were in a terrible, scary situation, I would justify it to myself until the cows come home especially if somebody died like because what's the alternative you just feel guilty forever or think that you're a murderer you know I mean I could go so many places with this like this story is the reason that the seal of the confessional exists right some things are just too horrible to keep inside yourself without expelling either through confessing or making up a story that makes you feel better. I, so he's probably terrible. He probably did some bad stuff. That doesn't mean that I don't feel really awful for him. Does this mean the sailor didn't just shoot an albatross? I, that's too much. That's too much. I can't. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. That's not fair. That's not fair. Dan, what do you got, man? Uh, about that, uh, I don't have much to add to that. I mean, I I feel like, yeah, I I I don't I don't have anything to add. I think that's uh, makes sense to me that he. Um, The way that he, I guess the way that, uh, I will say this, the way that he um, told the story when he's, you know, in the, the core of the vortex and um, he talks about how um, his brother came and tried to pry his hand off of the, the thing. It almost seems like um, that part is setting up, trying to justify leaving him to go, leaving him to go. So it's like, ah, oh, it wasn't my fault. My brother pried it away from me, you know, or whatever. And so he moves to the other side of the boat, which, you know, again, the scientist to me was like, at first was thinking, okay, how could he get up and move to the other side of the boat? But then I thought, wait, the, <laughs> yep. force, the force balance is right. If he's, if they're really inside this funnel and they're going around in a circle, the centrifugal force is going to be acting just like gravity. And so, yeah, he should theoretically, if it's smooth enough, be able to get up and walk to the other side of the boat. I mean, it, you all seen the amusement park um, 
cylinders, right? Where they spin you up and you, you're stuck to the side and the inside, it's, it'd be kind of like that. You could walk around and, you know, and of course it's a big, big time scientific science fiction trope to have rotating cylinder habitats where you use centrifugal force to generate artificial gravity on the inside edge. So of course I'm thinking of it that way. Um, again, do I think that Poe had all this in mind? Probably not, but it's just uncanny how well it, it actually could work out. You can make some kind of plausible, you know, explanation for it. Um, but when you string it all together like that, that's, it's like the daisy chain fallacy where you're trying, okay, maybe this might make sense. This might, but you string it all together. There's a lot of unlikely events that occur here, right? Even within the confines of the story that like, if you insert yourself in the story, I'd have a hard time believing this fellow <laughs> myself. So I don't know. It, it, the part where he says, oh, I figured out that I had to jump out and grab this barrel, and but I tried to get my brother to follow me and he wouldn't kind of thing. You know, if he's, tell, he, he's at least very good, he's had a lot of practice and time coming up with a good story if it's not at least partly true, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that is precisely what has happened here. Mm -hmm. uh, again, I mean, you know, I, I, part of what makes the story so interesting and, and part of it, you know, part of the reason why this is the Poe story that I wanted to talk about, right? Um, I didn't know Dan was going to be on the show. That is just bonus material. So you're welcome, listeners, uh, <laughs> that I, that, you know, somehow. I, I hope I'm not rooting it. <laughs> I, I, I lured Dan over here, right? But yeah. the reason that I can come back to this story in a way that I can't come back to Cask of Amontillado or Telltale Heart or a lot of, you know, the better known Poe stories is because of this super deep rooted ambiguity here mm. that in order for the old man's story to be a lie, you have to reach a tipping point. And, you know, I'm pretty sure he has passed that tipping point, but there's also a whole lot of stuff like his, you know, just bizarrely detailed knowledge of fluid dynamics, although they wouldn't have called it that back then, right? Uh, that, you know, gets you guessing the other way for moments, right? And then he says things, you know, that make you think, no, there's no way that happened. And then it leans you the other way and it leans you back and a forth and a back and a forth. And, you know, all throughout this story, uh, because you are not getting it directly from a, an omniscient narrator, or even from our Encyclopedia Britannica quoting scientific narrator, but you're getting it from this guy who claims that three years ago he was a young man with dark hair. Mm -hmm. It's like, there, there, there's too much here that's right, but there's also way too much here that's wrong. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I, I actually want to read this story again when I'm finished with it, simply because there's so much that doesn't fit, right? Uh, and again, I mean, you know, what, what this tells me is what I have said for a long time about Edgar Allan Poe is that Poe has chops. Poe has the ability to tell a really compelling story. It's just that a lot of times he doesn't. And, you know, I, I think that's why, like I said, I like coming back to this one. Now, did he really try to save his brothers? <sighs> no. Uh, I think that in the moment he panicked. He probably did notice these things that he's picked up over the years being a fisherman and a sailor, and he picked them up in a way that his brothers didn't. 
I'm not even sure that he could have gotten to his brothers to attempt to save them, but I think he absolutely makes up this story that his brothers tried to pry his hands off the boat and tried to kill him. So he was just, it was me or him. It was me or him. Yeah. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. I don't believe that for a second. Uh, But, you know, like Victoria said, and she's absolutely right about this, to live with that is too much for him. And I think he's been telling this story for decades but in his mind, it always happened yesterday. Hmm. And so, I mean, for me, like that, that is the psychology of this story. Uh, the, you know, the liquid dynamics is just bonus material. Like I said, uh, I and very, very, very cool bonus material. I'm glad we had Dan on here to explain that stuff to us. I, I did. So, I, I like, I like that. Oh yeah. 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 I, yeah. I, you know, yeah. like I said, uh, that now there is a dimension to this story that I didn't have access to before. And now I do. So, Same. you know, I kind of dig that. I kind of dig that. Well, Dan, this is a short story to be sure, uh, but certainly more questions than we've taken on arise in the course of this story. So I'm going to give you a chance and then I want to give Victoria a chance to kind of uh, steer the ship, if that joke's not too soon, uh, <laughs> before we sign off tonight. Uh, what else is there in this story that you would want to draw our listeners' attention to? Yeah, so I think I, I would just I just want to come back to what I was saying earlier about um, um, the uh, quote that at the beginning um, that I don't know that just sort of captured me and set the tone for my mood when I read this story. Um, just this this really interesting juxtaposition between a the uh, a, per, a man's power of reason. And the in, in the face of a divine spectacle in the form of a, an extraordinary natural phenomenon. Uh, and I, again, I, I feel like I got out of the story. And again, this is maybe just from my bias and my, the lenses, the glasses I'm putting on when I'm reading as a scientist, is I got the, the, that this was, yeah, a crazy natural phenomenon, but a natural phenomenon nonetheless. Um, and that this person, if you take what he's saying at face value, quite apart from the embellishing that likely was going on, you could you could see this, um, the old man as being just this really have keen powers of observation and, and whether or not he made up parts of it, he at least did so with this some kind of hidden well of knowledge that we that we is only apparent when you read the story. But assuming that what he's saying is all based on this reasoning ability and, and from a scientific perspective, um, you get this incredibly interesting story about how this person used reasoning to the best of his ability to give himself the greatest chance of survival and, and did, did in fact survive, but with, not without the scars from it. For example, the, the, the most obvious being him having quote unquote aged in a day, right? This is the scars I get from it. Um, whether or not that it actually happened within the you know, construct of the narrative is really beside the point in that regard. It's more like, yeah, you, you, you are lucky to survive and you know it, even though it was your reasoning that gave you that chance to survive. It's just, I find that juxtaposition fascinating because to me, that is really writing the story of how... Um, 
uh, at least myself and probably other believers who are scientists, we're, like we're studying the natural world. And yet we have to always remember that at the bottom of it is this, you know, awesome creator that is um, ways way higher than our ways. But it doesn't mean that what we're doing is completely in vain. It's not like we're not doing, not learning anything with science. We are. And I think, uh, and we can use that to understand and give us power over in our daily lives, um, even if it is just to give us a fighting chance in some circumstances like this one. So I'm rambling right now, but that, that I think that there's a, there's a combination of, yes, this is amenable to scientific explanation. At, some, at one level, it's not this supernatural um, intervention that has absolutely in it no explanation. It's not ineffable but it is still awesome and bigger than you and you better respect it at the same time. That's, that's what I would. Right on, right on. Uh, Victoria, what do you got? Uh, I don't think I have much more than science does amazing things, but people should respect the power of God. I feel like we should leave it there. <laughs> and and i and i guess i'll i'll just uh top it off with you know one more dose of grumpy old man uh i think this is a story in which this old man fisherman gives us a story that is certainly exhilarating and certainly horrifying and also has enough sprinkled in it uh that that daisy chain fallacy that dan mentioned uh, that, I mean, for me, every time I come back to it, I am second guessing and, you know, backtracking and, you know, otherwise doubting my own judgment of what I thought was going on in the story the last time. And honestly, I, th I think that's what's cool about it is that, uh, you know, it's all being told to this person who exists in a world with its Encyclopedia Britannica's in it. So it's not a world where, you know, there's magic whirlpools that suddenly get a mile wide. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet there's enough going on there that there's moments where you think there might be a magical whirlpool that opens a mile wide and somehow, you know, defying most of what we know about water opens all the way to the ocean floor. <laughs> um, but then we're not sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it's that unsureness uh, that, you know, I don't doubt that, you know, the, the creator does confront us with the sublime. I'm also not sure that's what happened in the story, in the story. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, unless you want to talk about the sublimity of the depths of this man's own soul, that he realizes that, you know, he has to live with this. And so he turns it into externalizes it as this whirlpool story now listeners i want you to know that uh, i am probably excessively grumpy that dan and victoria are probably right and uh you should take everything that i've said tonight uh as you know the ramblings of a, a grumpy old codger who actually just three years ago was uh 17 years old so uh you know i <laughs> nice i was i was 16 
I, I think there you go. <laughs> three years ago. Just saying. Very good. Very yeah. good. All right, friends. Well, I think we can go ahead and start wrapping it up. Uh, the Christian Humanist Podcast, uh, as you know, longtime listeners will know, has been on a bit of a hiatus since May. Uh, we are looking at uh, doing a limited run of episodes here at the end of 2021. Uh, stay tuned to our Facebook page. Stay tuned to the website uh, for more news on that. Um, so I'm not going to say what the next episode is about because we're still working that out. However, uh, I will say that uh, Michael Farmer is going to have the joy of uh, editing this episode. Uh, you can find us at uh, christianhumanist.org. You can also email us at thechristianhumanist.org at gmail.com and say hey to Michael and to David and to Matthew. Uh, Christian Humanist Podcast is a part of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. And in behalf of my glorious guests, Dan Dawson and Victoria Reynolds Farmer, this is Nathan Gilmore saying, let your sins be strong, let your faith be stronger. <laughs>